Welcome to episode four with my friend and former college roommate, Nikki Sue Larkin. When I think about my discussion with Nikki Sue, what stands out most to me is how faithfully and successfully Nikki Sue has navigated the many times her lived experience has deviated from the plans she had for her life. In the family-centered culture in which we were both raised, it is not at all surprising that her whole goal in life was to get married, be a stay-at-home mom raising kids like her mom. I can relate to that because when I was younger, I had the same goals. And if there was anything life has taught all of us, it's that we often have very little control over the most impactful events in our lives. Perhaps it's because of this that God seems to place people around us just at the right time. For me, Nikki Sue is one of those people. Although Nikki Sue and I met as young adults and physical distance now separates us, we have supported each other at different times and in different situations over the years. I was happy to hear Nikki Sue share memories of meeting Cameron, her first wrong impression of him, and how she came to appreciate that God had brought someone into her life who did not match her list, but proved to be exactly the person with whom she would build a beautiful life. She could not have known that this exciting and hopeful adventure would be interrupted just 15 months after they were married and eight weeks after giving birth to their daughter, Kennedy. I say interrupted because Nikki Sue knows that death is not a permanent separation, that family ties are not so easily dissolved, and that Cameron continues to be present in ways known only to those in the world of spirits. Nikki Sue shared some experiences with me that have helped her to know that Cameron still loves and is aware of their daughter. She gets emotional when she talks about Kennedy, how Kennedy helped her keep going during the initial days, weeks, and months after Cameron passed away. At this period of time, when her body physically hurt and her soul felt crushed, Nikki Sue said, She saved my life in so many ways because she didn't know any better and she needed to be fed and played with. And she'd wake up in the morning, blue eyes, bald head, and was like, Mom, what are we going to do? We'll get to hear Kennedy's point of view next week when she and I discuss the unique bond she has with her father, as well as her experiences of growing up without his physical presence in her life. It was very good that Nikki Sue made sure to record her memories of Cameron and was able to gather stories from Cameron's family to share with Kennedy. I loved hearing about the ways her family and Cam's supported them after he passed away, even up until now, as her family has grown and changed. It can be tricky when we are very close to someone who is newly grieving to discern that person's physical needs, like needing to rest or to get up and move, needing to eat, to shower, or simply change out of pajamas into regular clothing. We might even be afraid to disturb a grieving person, but sometimes gentle assertiveness in these types of matters can really help. Nikki Sue was fortunate that her mother understood this. It was never the Lord's plan for her that she remain in a state of static grief. Nikki Sue mentioned how important it is for someone who is grieving to find people who bring light and upliftment and encouragement, which she did. She was active and deliberate, for which she continues to be blessed with amazing support from other women who will join Nikki Sue and I on this podcast in a few weeks. I admire Nikki Sue so much for reaching out to them, and I admire these women for opening themselves up to each other during their grief. There has been a happy coincidence this week as I've reviewed my discussion with Nikki Sue. 
Today's broadcast happens to coincide with this week's assignment in the Come Follow Me study manual, 2 Nephi chapters 6 through 10 in the Book of Mormon. Come Follow Me is the churchwide organized scripture study program for the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, to which I belong. These chapters contain clear and meaningful verses for understanding the scope and greatness of our Heavenly Father's plan for the physical and spiritual redemption of us, His children, through the atonement of Jesus Christ. When I use the term atonement, I am referring to Jesus' redemptive sacrifice, what Christians also so refer to as the passion or the stations of the cross. While we make our plans, it is good to remember that even before we were a thought in the universe, our merciful God set in motion His plan, not only to redeem us from sin and physical death, but to provide for us a perfect friend and example in Jesus Christ, who comprehends all that we could ever experience in this mortal life. In 2 Nephi chapter 9, we read of the merciful plan of the great Creator, that he suffered himself to become subject unto man in the flesh and die for all, that all might become subject unto him. And because of the way of deliverance of our God, the Holy One of Israel, this death, which is the temporal, shall deliver up its dead, which death is the grave. And the grave must deliver up its captive bodies, and the bodies and the spirits will be restored one to another. And it is by the power of the resurrection of the Holy One of Israel. Oh, how great the plan of our God, the spirit and the body restored to itself again. This is very comforting doctrine. Physical death is not a permanent condition, nor is it the end of our relationships. Mine, yours, or Nikki Sue's. Nikki Sue continues to share her experience with others. Recently, she was asked to speak at a conference for widows and widowers in St. George, Utah. I listened in remotely and wrote down what I thought was a pivotal idea that she shared. She said, as we go through this life, through this mortal journey, it's your reaction to adversity, not the adversity itself, that determines how your life story will continue to develop. Still, Nikki Sue reminded me that getting to where she is now was a long process, that the love, the memories, the caring and longing are still there and still part of her. After Cameron passed away, her dad counseled her that she would gain great blessings from the experience. It may seem like a misplaced promise, but now, 23 years later, she can say that she has gained amazing blessings. The Lord has taken care of her, and she is grateful for the person she has become in spite of the adversity. I find this idea to be profound. It reminds me of a passage in a collection of writings by C.S. Lewis called Mere Christianity. C.S. Lewis is one of my favorite authors. His grief story is just as compelling as any one of ours. Lewis's mother passed away when he was only eight years old, and although he was born into a Catholic family, by the time he was a teenager, he stopped believing in God. Later, while a professor at Oxford University, and through the influence of good friends like J.R.R. Tolkien, says he reluctantly converted to Christianity reluctantly based on how Lewis described his own conversion experience, which he wrote in his memoir, Surprised by Joy, about the intellectual and spiritual struggle that led him to finally sincerely pray. He said, I gave in and admitted that God was God. Later in life, Lewis met and married a woman named Joy Davidson, 
who sadly passed away just a few years later. His book, A Grief Observed, contains his personal experience struggling through grief. I found it to be very helpful when my own grief was so raw and painful. This familiar passage that I'd like to quote is found in Lewis's book, Mere Christianity. It's a little long, but it's good. And I'll repeat it here. Of course, we never wanted and never asked to be made into the sort of creatures he is going to make us into. But the question is not what we intended ourselves to be, but what he intended us to be when he made us. He is the inventor. We are only the machine. He is the painter. We are only the picture. How should we know what he means us to be like? We may be content to remain what we call ordinary people but he is determined to carry out a quite different plan. To shrink back from that plan is not humility, it is laziness and cowardice. To submit to it is not conceit or megalomania, it is obedience. Here's another way of putting the two sides of the truth. On the one hand, we must never imagine that our own unaided efforts can be relied on to carry us even through the next 24 hours as decent people. If he does not support us, not one of us is safe from some gross sin. On the other hand, no possible degree of holiness or heroism which has ever been recorded of the greatest saints is beyond what he is determined to produce in every one of us in the end. The job will not be completed in this life, but he means to get us as far as possible before death. That is why we must not be surprised if we are in for a rough time. When a man turns to Christ and seems to be getting on pretty well, in the sense that some of his bad habits are now corrected, he often feels that it would now be natural if things went fairly smoothly. When troubles come along, illnesses, money troubles, new kinds of temptation, he is disappointed. These things he feels might have been necessary to rouse him and make him repent in his bad old days, but why now? because God is forcing him on or up to a higher level, putting him into situations where he will have to be very much braver or more patient or more loving than he ever dreamed of being before. It seems to us all unnecessary, but that is because we have not yet had the slightest notion of the tremendous thing he means to make of us. Imagine yourself as a living house. God comes in to rebuild that house. At first, perhaps you can understand what he's doing. He's getting the drains right and stopping the leaks in the roof and so on. You knew that those jobs needed doing, and so you're not surprised. But presently, he starts knocking the house about in a way that hurts abominably and does not seem to make sense. What on earth is he up to? The explanation is that he is building quite a different house from the one you thought of. Throwing out a new wing here, putting on an extra floor there, running up towers, making courtyards. You thought you were going to be made into a decent little cottage, but he is building a palace. He intends to come and live in it himself. Since our college days, I've watched Nikki Sue make plans and then yield to God's timing. I admire her faith in the Savior and her trust in Heavenly Father's plan for her life. I'll end here with Nikki Sue's closing remarks at the Widows and Widowers Conference. She said, We all search for happiness, and we all try to find our own happily ever after. But the truth is, 
God knows how to get there to our happily ever after, and He's created a map for you. He knows the way. He's your beloved Heavenly Father who seeks your good and your happiness. He desires with all the love of a perfect and pure Father that you reach your supernal destination. Trust His motives. Trust His timing. Trust Him in difficult times and trust Him enough to follow the plan.